0: Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk.
1: Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals.
2: Hello and welcome to The Games, a football podcast from The Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti and in the studio this week, I am joined by the excellent Alison Rudd and the budding meteorologist, James Scowcroft. Coming up, we'll be talking through the Northeast Derby, chatting some Thierry Henry, as well as the usual quick hits. But first, let's focus on Anfield.
0: 24 for Liverpool,
2: as Lalana drives it in, and Skirtle has scored in the
0: seventh minute of stoppage time. Martin Skirtle, the man who scored two in the first ten minutes against Arsenal in their demolition here in February, has struck very late, and the ten men have salvaged the draw deep
2: Okay, so I know not everybody here is Brendan Rodgers' biggest fan, but I thought he completely destroyed Arsenal tactically and and Liverpool, I mean obviously the numbers bear that out, I think it's the lowest ever possession in, uh, in, in
0: the Wenger era. 27 shots on goal, James? I think it was the best I've seen Liverpool play this season. I know they had a, a fantastic result at Tottenham, um, but I just thought it was a little bit of Liverpool of last year, wasn't it? They with a lot of energy, you can say tactically, but I thought one team looked laboured and the other team looked uh, vibrant, lots of energy and Obviously had a lot of criticism, hasn't he, Brendan Rodgers and the team, and it was, you could almost just see yesterday it was uh, there was a little bit of aggression in their right. performance.
2: What did he, Obviously he changed, or, or he employed the system, can you tell us tactically what he did that was different and why it worked?
0: He sort of outnumbered the, the the four versus the three in midfield, didn't he? Now there's arguments to say that if the wide players from Arsenal drop back in, it's then five versus four, you can go on about tactics. for, But I just think they, they pressed Arsenal, I think they moved the ball quicker than what they usually did. And I think that few players had a point to prove. Alison, is this some kind of a
2: vindication for Rodgers? B, a system that can work longer term.
1: I really, genuinely thought there were two poor teams out there, and Arsenal were the.
2: You're giving the thumbs up, James. I and mean, obviously, no, <laughs> I, I, I need to report this because there are no cameras here. Okay, so you were not impressed by Liverpool. I d-
1: the reason I say that. The reason I say that is, I, I, I accept of all the performances this season, this was one of the better performances. By Liverpool, and there was definitely uh, a, a, they definitely were moving the ball quicker, and there was a bit more confidence on the ball than there has been. But Arsenal was was so poor; it just seemed to me slightly bizarre that whenever they did string a few passes together, which wasn't very often, they immediately looked like they were going to score. And given how little possession they had and how few shots they had, the fact they scored twice. Is a bit, still a, a worrying trend from a, a Liverpool point of view, and I just I just felt and if, given that Liverpool were at home, the crowd were fantastic. The, the, they were they were definitely trying to replicate the the uh, you know annihilation of Arsenal from last season. And they were really going for that early twenty minute pulsating slog at them. Uh, that was a good tactic to try and sort of remind the play, uh, the Arsenal players. You know you had an awful time last season, and they did seem a bit jittery. But given given all that, you know the fact that Liverpool still couldn't get three points um, from from probably one of the poorest right. Arsenal performances I've seen is is you know I don't think that's, that that isn't something that you can then come out and say I think we might get top four out of
2: that mm-hmm. at well, all. Th- th- that's that's a criticism of Rodgers and the things he says when he opens his mouth, which is different and which, which which we'll get to. But in terms of the way they played, what what struck me and they highlighted this on, on, on match of the day. Although, you know, I think anybody who saw it on TV would have noticed this is they had. Ollie K in our paper called it a 3-4-2-1 system, but it was basically uh, a, a back three, Markovic and, and Henderson wide as, as wing backs, if you will. And then you kind of had this box with Gerard and Lucas at the back and Coutinho and, um, and Lallana at the top of it. <laughs> they were up against uh, Casorla, Oxley, chamberlain and poor Flamini stuck in between Coutinho and Lallana, and there was no reaction to it. I found this really, really bizarre from, from Wenger's perspective that, that he somehow thought that Flamini could look after two guys by himself. And James, when you see that happening, when, and maybe Wenger wasn't expecting them to line up this way, but surely you expect an adjustment yeah. on, the, on, on the pitch. I mean, you talked before about the wingers tucking in and helping out. Well, Do you have any
0: explanation? Well, I think you've, you've half explained it yourself, Gab, I think Wenger asked us it early and you have to change, you know, okay, you, you, you know, Liverpool are a bit of a mixed bag every week, you don't know the formation or the team line-up, but you've, you've got 90 minutes to adjust and, you know, he hasn't got to make wholesale changes, you've just got to get the, the midfield three very, very narrow, like like I say, like uh, Phil Neville highlighted on Match of the Day last night, make them very compact and use the two wide players as your uh, your overload and get those to come in and they can break out, but... You know, like I say, that they got caught in no man's land, Arsenal. They didn't press the ball. They stood off and, you know, allowed uh, Liverpool to dominate. And I'm not one for stats, but 36% possession from Arsenal, the lowest for 10 years, says it all.
2: It was the lowest since they've started yeah. actually uh, uh, keeping Recording, these numbers yeah. uh, for Arsenal. And what's weird is when you have, as you said, when you have such little possession, you expect... That it's because the team is sitting back and trying to hit on the break, but Arsenal weren't even weren't even doing that. If you look at the uh, the, the positions, Alexis Sanchez, um, and um blanking on the other winger. Help me, Welbeck. And Danny Welbeck, yes. Uh, uh, yeah, it was a
1: quiet. No wonder you don't remember. <laughs> it was the quietest he's been since he joined Arsenal. In fact,
2: well, because those guys were, were sort of standing there waiting for waiting for service, which which never came. Which I thought again was was,
0: was pretty And another remarkable.
1: bizarre, and well, there were quite a lot of bizarre things going on in that match. Another one was if you sort of sat and watched Arsenal, you found yourself getting slightly obsessed with where Giroud was playing. Why is he playing? Why is he playing left? Oh, is he playing right? Oh, he's central now. Where, where is he? Why, why is he? We I mean, you know he so clearly should be the fulcrum, the guy trying to hold the ball up and bring the wide players into play. It was as though there was some sort of random. Liverpool are a mess So just, just have fun issued to them before kickoff as opposed to a, a really solid I, th- I think play.
0: maybe, sorry, I, th- I think maybe Arsene Wenger, if you looked at it, especially if you play three at the back, you're supposed to tactically push your three right on, so you're playing three against three. And maybe Arsene Wenger and Arsenal thought, well, if we play high up the pitch, we can get joy one on one. There's gaps in the Liverpool defence. They are very, very leaky at the moment. But, you know, the consequence of that is that they got dominated in midfield.
2: I wanted to start with that and maybe some praise for Brendan Rodgers because we I mean, you made a face at Arsenal but otherwise if we look at all four goals there was some pretty putrid defending of, of the kind you just and, and mistakes that uh, to me highlight I mean you could call them two bad teams and to be fair I think these are two teams who really defended very very badly. On Coutinho's goal which he took extremely well I was struck by by the fact that obviously Debushi has to de- deputise at, at centre back, supposedly he likes Debushi now as an emergency centre back more than Callum Chambers. I, it's something I don't really get. I mean, I think they're both they both equally struggle as central defenders because they're not central defenders and they have never played central defence. But did you feel Debushi could have uh, uh, could or should have gotten tighter to to Coutinho there? I mean, does a little shimmy. But he defended it to me, like he looked to me like a right-back jockeying his opponent on the wing, rather than somebody saying, oh, we're in a danger zone here, this guy could shoot.
1: Yeah, it's hard to disagree with that assessment. I mean, last season when Arsenal played well, it was always because they had that triangle of Chesney, Mertesacker and Koscielny. And it started to really function as, as one of the best of that sort of triangle of defence of any of the Premier League teams and they always built from that and it's it is not to Wenger's credit that when that is disrupted it, it the whole back line falls apart it shouldn't be so destructive on a team when well, one of one member of that trio is out and, and I, don't, I don't know that Koscielny in isolation is such a brilliant defender but when he's there when it's those three the Arsenal just play so much better And yeah, the rest w- of the team have confidence from it w- So I'm not going to I don't particularly want to pick on Debushi Because I think I think apart from that He played okay It's just I think Kosciani would have got he tighter If you put, though, put With Mertesacker It doesn't
2: Well it's certainly any set of defender I, I, You would expect from well, him Well you would I mean, do yeah Because there's help behind um, it, it just seemed like It was almost like an unnatural Defensive action for him The equaliser Which came almost straight away First of all Was, was there a foul from Debushi on, on Skirtle? And if there wasn't a foul, how does somebody who's five inches taller and, 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 and heavier and is a center back like Skirtle allow Debushi to just, who's not a great header of the ball, to go and beat him like that? I, James, you, you've been in those situations. Is it a, is it, is it a switch off? Is it, does he not expect Debushi to even be able to challenge
0: him? that is the case I think it's one of those that you you just sort of lose concentration don't you I think sometimes when you're playing against maybe a Giroud or you've got that concentration because you know that you've got to be on top of your game every time the ball comes I think it's just he it just turns off he underestimates it really and you know like I say it's a it's a big mistake
2: Ollie made the point there that on that on that sequence Liverpool allowed Arsenal to, uh, to win basically three headers in, in, in the box with Murtsacq, which you can understand because he's nine feet tall, but then Flamini as well, and and then and and then Debussy. I mean, there's an issue with second balls. Yeah. Isn't
0: well, there? Arsenal do really well because they keep it alive, don't they? They, they keep the pressure. It's, it's always when I was marking at set pieces, you're always told to get touch tight. So without fouling, without grabbing someone's shirt, you knew where your man was. And I think uh, Skirtle there just gets wrong side and, and loses his man. I, I think ball watching is the, is probably the common phrase there, but. You know, these are key moments. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we talk about possession and things in, in f- and how people play in midfield and keeping, but, you know, football's all about what you do in both penalty boxes to a certain extent, is And set pieces are massive.
2: Alison, the, the third goal um, in the game, Arsenal's second, again, I don't want to pick on Liverpool's defenders, but it's the, the, that one, two from Giroud to Kosoila. To Nobody goes to shut Kosoila down. And then when it's obvious he's going to cross the ball, there's three of them in there and all of them sort of run towards the goal line as if they're going to cut out the cross, not realising that there's a large Frenchman in, in a yellow shirt just behind them. And, and and it seems so easy. It's almost like they were all moving away from Giroud.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, you're looking at me mystified, but, but I, I, mean, I... I'm
1: not going to be able to defend that, am I? I'm not going to be able to say that was... You
2: know, but the correct do, thing do, to do. As okay, it, it only wasn't. Is it? Th- I'm not suggesting, it, but is it three players all making bad decisions at once? Is it one guy not not calling them? Is it because they have to get used to playing in a back three? From for, from what I thought.
0: It's the same old no, argument. You've got to get tight. Doesn't matter if you're playing back <laughs> three, four, five, whatever. Right.
2: But from from what I was taught it is normally one of the three, usually the one furthest away from the ball who has the best sight line. Effectively becomes almost like a sweeper or a defensive organiser. But we're not talking
0: on the halfway line here. We're talking on the edge of the box, aren't we? Drew comes off, he's got acres yeah. of space. But, but, plays but when, a 1-2. Right. And then at that point, I,
2: I would have expected, obviously somebody has to go and try to get in the way of Casorla's cross, even though it's kind of... Yeah. But then you still have two people there. One of them goes to, to, to help out and, and the other one notices where Giroud is. A, should there have been a shout? Is, is that what normally happens? Or should they know ahead of time what they're going to do? Or I think it's, it's
0: you're there to defend, and it, this is what you, you should be working on the training ground day in, day out. And, and a lot of teams, I think if that's John Terry, for example, he's tight to Giroud. So he makes it very, very hard for the ball to come into his feet and him to lay the ball off. So he probably lays it backwards. And if the ball does go out wide, he then gets tight to him. So if it does come into the box, his first, he's on the front foot It end, was also
1: a very laboured one too So there's no excuse <coughs> no. In It was two it. miles an hour yeah, Exactly, so there, it wasn't like the defence didn't have, didn't have time was it? to adjust to what was happening It was overhit Because all it seemed to take an age to get to it Because it was overhit And it was all very telegraphed what was going to happen So it, it makes the mistakes even more bizarre But Gab, what I would say was I don't think Liverpool I suspect Liverpool aren't really playing three at the back To improve their defence, they're playing three at the back because it means that they can feel more like an attacking team. This isn't I don't feel like three at the back is seen as the solution to Liverpool's defensive anxieties in recent months. It's just the pain they're feeling in the in the backroom staff is that Liverpool have lost the zest and passion to their Aggressiveness to the way they play, and they've decided if they play through at the back, it, f- it frees up more players to play an attacking role. It's not meant to be a uh, a tonic for their defensive woes. But well, they're shipping
0: in goals, Alison, aren't they?
1: Well, they're still shipping in goals, whether they play yeah, through at are, the back or not. Exactly,
0: but so that, that's a mentality, isn't it? Where more than a tactical thing.
1: So, so they're, go- they're going back to the well. Let's just try and score more than we let in, and we're more likely to do that if we play through at the back. Would you agree?
0: Well, I would do But if you're going to see Two or three goals It's very very hard In a premiership Against good opposition To score You know Three or four goals To win a game of football And this is their Achilles Hill. Last year they had the players That could score Three or four goals They haven't got it now So what you've got to do You've, you've got to tighten up if they tighten up At the back yesterday They win the game They win the game
2: Yeah or if they Convert some of the chances I think they were a little bit Unlucky earlier um, With some of the chances I mean they might have won This 4-2 four, 4-3 four, As it happened It took that Late, late equaliser From Uh, from Skirtle and and I saw this issue coming up again zonal marking, non-zonal marking and and whatever else I'm hoping James you you coach kids you defended on set pieces presumably you had people telling you how to organize set pieces can you walk us through because it it, it looked to me like Arsenal were marking zonally and it's a pretty familiar way that, that they do this they have somebody on either post, although I think it was Gibbs on, on the near post who then, who then peeled away, and that's ultimately where, where Skrtel's header went. They had Murtisacker in the middle, they had Chambers to his right, and I think it might have been Welbeck uh, to his left. One of the arguments against zonal marking is this business with, with attacking the ball, and how if you mark man to man, you can run with your guy, you're touch-tight to him, you can put him off from jumping. In this situation, is that a fair criticism? You see Skirtle all the way out there, and he's got all the time to run in, pick his spot, and jump, and, and head the ball.
0: Is that, is that what happened here? It is. It's, it's exactly what happened, Gab, and, and you're, you're spot on. What happens, you've got somebody who's running four or five yards, attacking the ball against someone who's got a standing jump. So it's, it's
2: only, only going to be one winner. What I would suggest here, though, is... Because, see, last night, and, and in general, they made so much about the fact that Mertesacker shrinks away like a little violet. In reality, I, and, and obviously, and then that was weird, and obviously if he stands up, he's so big, maybe he gets in the way of the ball and whatever else. I'm not, I'm not exonerating Mertesacker. But if you look, it's, it's Chambers who, who goes and, and runs out and, and tries to meet it. So I mean, I'm giving Wenger the benefit of doubt here, but it looks to me like he had allowed for something like this to happen,
0: and he had a plan. It's just that it didn't work. I think the thing is, that the key to it, is, and I see managers lose goals week in, week out from zonal marking, and they don't change it, and there's a lot of teams that do it, a lot of teams. Um, you know, I worked under Howard Wilkinson for a, a small time and, and saw him put a presentation on zonal marking and how good it was and, and the reasons why to do it. I, I, it's just never been for me at all. I, I like a player that's got the responsibility, and they're all told before the game, this is the man that you are marking. This is what he's good at. This is where the areas he likes to attack the ball. You can get up against him, so you can stop him from getting a run and jump. You can probably try and keep him out of the danger zone as well. But you know that it's you versus him. And and I think that's... when, When you're given no responsibility, sometimes you can get distracted. You can there's other things that can come across and and we was always told and a very good uh, coach who taught me about set pieces actually was um learned from the Wimbledon crazy days who were very good uh, Alan Cork and uh, again with zonal marking what he did is he picked person after person he said right you make your run across him you make your run across him you make, and what you're doing you're interfering players so if someone runs across you you're going to come out of your position Okay, so that will then leave another gap in behind, and you will get success. And every time we played a team in zonal marking, we did this. Everyone was given an area to run into, and y- y- we just had success all the right. time. So, I, I think the counter argument to that would you be: you can do both. Gab. You can actually mark and zonal mark. If you get it, yeah, mark. no, no. They're all, they're Tony Pulis did it with with well last year, and they only scored. Palace let in one free kick, set piece it was against Liverpool last way of the season. Listen, if you get Tony Pulis there, you don't concede goals. I think this Arsenal performance was, was an aberration because of the way it unfolded and, uh, and Liverpool
2: deserved the three points Do
0: so you think both teams are getting the top four? Sorry? Do you think both teams are finishing the top four?
2: If they play like this, definitely not um, Until very recently, what is it? have said Arsenal were definitely going top four Now, um, I'm not so sure, just simply because this was just such a weird performance
0: And Sunderland might be able to play the way out of trouble here It's Adam Johnson Good advantage played by referee Taylor Still Johnson makes his way forward Danger for Newcastle as Fletcher has it now Back for Buckley He's pulled it back for Johnson Adam Johnson surely wins it In the 90th minute for Sunderland
2: Alright let's move on to the great northeast Newcastle and Sunderland Sunderland was it now The, is the fourth win in a row in, in this fixture Yep Again i will start with you James Because you had the uh, privilege of playing In a very heated derby situation Ipswich and and Norwich, of course. It it does seem to matter a lot to people. It does, yeah. But but does it, obviously that's in East Anglia, which is sort of, how can I say this nicely, slightly cut off. Just say what you're thinking. All right, what I'm thinking is that a little bit like the Northeast, it's a little bit cut off from the London, Birmingham, Manchester axis. And a little bit sort of peripheral to the, the general media obsession. In, in this country, which tends to focus, people on like us. you don't really care. So you break it down.
0: <laughs> so you could put it that way. No, but but
1: well, that's what makes it more intense. That is what makes it more off.
0: intense, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah well, it, it's the Ipswich Norwich one's a strange one because they're actually forty-four miles apart. You know, it's not like but there's nothing in between. So there's a lot in between. Okay, that's no, so pretty. Fields. See what you're going to eat tonight. It will be grown. That's what's in between. That's what comes off the fields and will be put on your plate.
1: Should we play the Archers music now? <laughs>
0: Okay, so you you played in this rural derby, the old farm. It, it does. It,
2: it it feels strange for me because I, I I'm obviously not from the Northeast. I haven't spent much time there, although I have been there. It just seems to me that this is one of those things, and, and it sounds trite and corny, but it really is huge. And, and going forward, if these two teams aren't going to get relegated and they're not going to, you know, get into Europe regularly, this is what you what you circle on on your calendar when you're not. Calling for Alan Pardew to be sacked.
0: Yeah, it, it's a it's a big game, and I think if if ever you go on YouTube or you, you know, I don't know if you tonight go go on YouTube and type in Newcastle Sunderland fans, you'll see both sets of fans go into the game, and you'll see the passion and a rivalry, and obviously overspill sometimes. But I think it's just a tradition that's passed down, and people grow up, you know, with this. Probably hatred is the right word. To you know, the the team that they, they hate most. And it is, speaking from an Ipswich Norwich point of view, it is probably the one fixture that comes out in July or June when the fixtures come out that they look forward to the most. Um, it's usually the bigger crowd. The build-up is far bigger than, than any other one. And this is a prime example, you know, it's, it's a massive derby, the, the Newcastle-Sunderland one.
2: It just struck me that clearly this game is so important and you could tell that Pardew wanted to win it so much. And, and he took a gamble. He took a gamble what, in, in, in the second half And you could see Newcastle attacking And is it as simple as that? He just gambled too much and Or not gambled too much, maybe gambled the right amount But probability decreed that Sunderland would, would nick a goal Is that is that what happened?
0: Well if you look at the game The game could have ended up 5-5 for the chances in the game And I think I think you're right I think Alan Pardewa was desperate to win it I think they overcommitted and paid a heavy price And uh, hindsight's a wonderful thing But I'm sure this morning he'll be thinking Should I have done that? It's not something you can blame them for. Though. No, no, I don't. I, I, I mean, think from Newcastle a risk reward perspective, yeah, exactly. And I, I think Newcastle were were unlucky. I don't think they deserve to lose it. But you've, I think sometimes you have to get to a point in a game, and with five minutes to go, with a game so stretched, you have to think we've done our best here. We're not going to win, but what we make sure we do, we don't get beat.
1: Yeah, but there, there are, I mean, you know, you're right to raise the fact that it is a different sort of match and an emotional match because you know maybe the sensible thing to do was 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 to. Settle for the draw, but that isn't really an option in that sort of match, is it? In a but way, I think he probably gets off from the supporters' point of view. Giving it a go, they're, they're happier that he did that than played pragmatically, because that would imply that he didn't care.
2: But yeah, and I think also in Parju's position, what's one more point in the table going to do for you? You know, you, you're as I said, like you will finish the season in mid-table, but the benefits of of getting that monkey off your back, of winning the, of, of winning the derby, you could parlay that and, and, and hopefully roll over the enthusiasm into, into doing something useful. Whereas point or defeat, I don't think makes too much of a difference for him.
1: No, but it, I don't know, this is a weird one, because I saw Pardue midweek after the, um, the defeat at Spurs in the Capital One Cup. Uh, he said, you know, it would be unacceptable, Pardue it would be unacceptable to, to lose a fourth Derby in a row, and he, you know, he 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 wasn't really being asked about it. He was hyping it up himself, and I don't, I just don't feel there's any seismic repercussions from this defeat. Maybe because he's got all those good results in the bank after that awful start. It,
0: I think it puts a little bit more pressure on the next derby game. Do you not think this? All of a sudden, we won the last four in a row, and I think it just adds pressure. He's going to win a game of football. I don't think you can. Criticise a man? He's, he's a nice man, isn't he? An apology. A lot of people
2: seem to really like him. As promised in our debate this week, we're going to reflect on Terry Henri, who uh, retired, uh, announced his retirement uh, last week to go and become a pundit on Sky. But Alison, I, I, I want to start with with you and, and the piece you wrote at the end of last week. Can you tell us a little bit about it?
1: What can I tell people they don't already know about Thierry Henry? Well, you um, wrote a whole asked I was asked to write an appreciation of him from a personal point of view. Can you stop
2: flipping the papers, pages on the newspaper? Yeah, that's very rude. I can
1: just tell everyone I'm James Cope up to not date looking date. like
0: he <clears throat> With our debate.
1: There's nothing in the paper about Thierry today.
2: I'm do,
0: looking it? up your thing. I'm oh, sorry. It's it. not
2: in the paper. It's not. And, and Ideally, you'd bring... you Presumably, you played against him at some point. I did, yes. So, yeah, so we're looking for... For, for, for that sort of thing
0: well, I shall wait for you to ask me a question
2: I, I will do, please Alison, continue
1: I was asked to write a personal appreciation of Thierry Henry and We all know his stats And I suppose if you were just looking at stats Maybe he isn't the greatest Premier League player of all time I mean, an argument to make for Frank Lampard Because he's going to outscore him And from midfield, which is quite a feat But anyway, in terms of sheer beauty Thierry is up there I mean, you can't do better really than just sort of watch Watch how he played But to try and put it into words he did have that ability which I think the very best players have certainly the ones I admire the most he's like he's operating in a different time zone so he would receive the ball and yeah he's capable he's capable of volleying capable of taking a really good free kick but the best bits of Thierry Henry is when he decides where he's going to shift that he shifts the ball into space and always defenders always look like oh my goodness I didn't know that space existed why is he putting the ball there it was as though he had sort of an extra angle or a different dimension to the game he just saw it I think he just saw it slightly differently he saw space where other people didn't see it and then he'd glide through and score and there's, there's just I don't know if you learn that or it's just it probably is partly simply because he he's converted from being a winger to a striker and maybe that's how he saw... He did, that's why he saw the pitch differently at, from a striker's point of view. He just saw more space to be in. Um, anyway, that's what I loved most about him was that he sort of created a time-space dimension that a lot of defenders simply couldn't cope with.
2: You might say that he learned how to bend time and space.
1: Indeed, I'll go that the far again. The dimensions to, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah.
2: to his will. Um, you, you brought up the, the aesthetic side of it, which... Is obviously very important because ultimately we watch great players and and, and we remember how they look how they did something you know and it's not always just sort of grace and beauty it can also be power I mean I I have a a Duncan Ferguson fetish myself and (laughs) um, seeing this sort of enormous man just 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 you know violently um, score a goal or or whatever to me that's special too but what struck me about uh, about Henri was that he had this incredible production to go with the aesthetic side of things. The scoring records for, for a historic club like Arsenal. One game stands out, and I don't mean to upset you with this because I think your uh, club allegiances are well known. But for me, there was that remarkable game against Liverpool. And you may have...
1: Blanked it from the Blanked memory, it from yeah. memory.
2: But as I recall, it was one of those seasons where sort of everything was, was crumbling for Arsenal. They'd just been... I think they'd just been knocked out of the Champions League or or the FA Cup or something, and I think they were 2-0 down, and it was all just just falling apart. And then he just took the game over, and I think he scored a hat-trick. He had these leadership qualities, these qualities of taking responsibility onto himself that, that great players have.
1: Yeah, that you is. He's really haven't that, that game from yeah, your memory. Yeah, yeah, I have a bit. I uh, know. I mean, I think he often played well against Liverpool from memory, and Liverpool players are always very generous in their praise of him. I think that's another way, another yardstick. In fact, is that even when he might have dismantled a team, when you interviewed the players afterwards, they were so generous in their praise of him. It's almost like it didn't matter if you were taken apart by Thierry Henry because he was exceptional. And I think that's part. If you make a list of how you judge. The greatness of a player that's a criteria definitely the way that opposition talk about you afterwards it's like you don't mind that he might take the game by the scruff of the neck and apply beauty because who else is gonna do that it's no, there's no shame in it at all
2: James you played against him what was it like you've got a, a rich trove of, of anecdotes
1: did he swear violently at you and kick you
0: No, he's, he's probably the most friendliest person um, I came on the pitch I, p- I played the last game when they went unbeatable it was Leicester um, last game of the season where they famous invincible season and we were actually winning 1-0 with about 25 minutes ago. Um, and you decided to let them set the record yeah exac- exactly <laughs> and it, I actually saw him do this a couple of times actually I, I played for Ipswich where he'd come on as a sub and he was just started to get going and he was one of these players that actually at times played within himself but he could go to a level when I say playing within himself, he was still the best player on the pitch, but he could go to a level where he could just think, right, I'm going to get the game by the scruff of the neck here. I'm going to turn a sort of a defeat into a, into a win. And he did it that day. Um, and I can remember asking Wenger coming to the sideline and saying, hey, Thierry, we need more from you, blah, blah, blah. And, and he was just swearing around. And all of a sudden, he went up two or three gears, and wow.
1: So he right. heard, you heard Wenger shout that too?
0: I've heard him say that twice come on Terry we need more from you, you know. and then
1: what a, like a it, switch is he, flicked and he just did it
0: yeah and I can remember him coming. he'd come on as a sub for um, Arsenal um, for Ipswich and this was 2000 I think it was um, and he got the winner and he'd been I think I think he was actually dropped and he was just as this sort of spell when he first came to Arsenal because he, he didn't set the world alight did he when he first came it took him a while to get going but he came on that day and he was something else he was you know it was quite an even game he had a very good Ipswich side at the time and he came on and he just it was just like the the big kid in the playground who's just better and can just get the ball go around everybody else and score and he come on and he scored the winning goal and just totally changed the game but one thing he was very very good and probably people haven't picked this up and I've watched all the highlights of somebody's got he was really good at dead ball free kicks I saw him at Filbert Street one night hit a free kick he actually hit the post and he must have been 35 38 yards out and he's hit this ball and I'm thinking, sure, you're not going to shoot from there. And I've never seen someone hit a sweeter dead ball free kick than what he did that night. Did your um,
2: did, did the managers you played for, but did they sort of prepare a special, like tailor-made well, approach? Because he he did that thing, especially in, in the last few years he was here, where you know he'd sort of be on the shoulder of the last defender and then sort of run offside and then run back onside. And yeah. What?
0: Well, what he'd, he'd float around. He wouldn't really play up and up as a sort of a, a number nine centre forward. He'd float into different positions. And I think we're going back to Allison's point where he'd shift the ball into space. And the reason he did do that is because defenders had to drop off. So you had to give him space in front. And if you watch several of his goals, he, he gets the ball, he turns, and he just shifts the ball, doesn't he? And then he can whip it into uh, either corner. You know, it was impossible for defenders to get tight to him because he, he had the, the ability with his feet to roll people. And if he did get tight and a ball played in behind, there was no way on earth he was ever going to catch him, even if you gave him two or three yards. So teams had to defend very, very deep against Arsenal. Not, not just him, but, you know, your Pires's, your Freddie Lundberg's who'd run in as well. So, And I think that's why Dennis Burkamp did so well because Arsenal had so much pace that teams had to drop off and Burkamp had so much space to, uh, to roam around him.
2: Okay, enough of that. Time for some quick hits. Manchester City roll to a 3-0 win over Palace with James Milner at centre forward. Evidence, Scowcroft, that uh, playing up front evidently isn't that hard, is it? More seriously, uh, has momentum swung City's game? Bunch of home games
0: coming up. Exactly, they've got good fixtures coming up, haven't they, which the next four fixtures... Burnley
2: and Sunderland at home,
0: West Brom away. You'd expect them to to win all four of those, really, and I, I think all of a sudden there is pressure on Chelsea. I think... Maybe six weeks ago, two months ago, I think most people, including myself, thought Chelsea would uh, walk this league. It might not be so easy. I still think they'll win it but Man City. And they'll only get better because they've got Aguero and centre-forwards, other people to get back fit. It'll be interesting.
2: And playing up front is a breeze even when you're not that fast or or not that tall. He
0: is a very good player for Man City, James Milner. Very underrated.
2: West Ham win 2-0 and two Englishmen, Stuart Downing and Andy Carroll, steal the show. Alison, the Hammers just won't go away. Should these two be in Roy's plans? Because from what I saw, they were outstanding.
1: I think only Downing can only be in his plans if he plays him the way that Allardyce plays him. and He's not going to because the reason Downing has blossomed is is because he's just been given that pivotal playmaker role. He sort of runs the game. Um, he's a very much a confidence player. Allardyce is, Allardyce has been amazing this season most of what's gone well for West Ham is the way he's nurtured all these players whether they're new or not or need, need to adapt anyway I don't think Hodgson can indulge Downing the way that Allardyce has
2: Maybe he never
1: got on to Carroll who yeah if Carroll's also not got any demons or problems he's a fantastic player he should definitely be in the squad
2: Spurs overcome Burnley and Eric Lamella opens his Premier League account. Now, normally we would be asking this question of Rory, who's a big Argentino file, But, James, you were there. Uh, will we remember this as a turning point in Lamella's
0: Premier League career? Only time will tell that, gap. But from what I saw at the weekend, he certainly has the ability to um, become a big, big star at Spurs. First half especially, I thought it was absolutely sensational. His ball-controlled. Um, I think there was one little run he went to and he went right round the back um, of Bernie 's back four, He cross it for Harry Kane who should have scored um, but at times the way he manipulates the ball and receives the ball absolutely superb he drifted out the game in the second half but you can see why Spurs paid the money for him at the weekend
2: Southampton breaks their losing streak by pummeling Everton 3-0 despite numerous absentees Alison um, we we're expecting them to sink down the table but it's happening more slowly than we thought it would is it because they're actually very good and Koeman's a very good manager?
1: Yeah, I didn't expect Southampton to, to drift too far down the table. Anyway, it, this was a really important victory. They did it without Schneiderlin, who is their key player. And I think that's great for the whole morale there that they, not over, they, know, they know they're not too over-reliant on him. And also, um, James Ward-Prowse is back from injury. I've been a huge fan of his for ages and... They do have a lovely production line at Southampton. And now we can see that they can slot new players in and they'll rise up the table again.
2: Manchester United are held 1-1 at Villa Park and Gabby Bonlehore is controversially sent off. Uh, James, your thoughts on the red are actually... Only give us your thoughts if you think it somehow uh, was a justified red card because I think you'd have to be a fool to suggest that. But hey, assessed United's sign of progress. Some people feel it might actually have been a backward step.
0: I think so. I think... um you know, I think if we're going to talk about Manchester United being title contenders, which I don't think they are, I think they go to Aston Villa and they win, um, especially when they get back to 1-1 and they're playing against 10 men. I think a good team would go on and win that game. Um, United just aren't quite there at the moment.
2: Did How excite you with his goal?
0: It's a great goal and I think if you uh, give him service, I think he will score goals. Um, but the problem with Manchester United, you know, although they've got games coming up, they just haven't had the games to play them and get him fully fit. QPR
2: gochu goes down at home to West Brom and then they unleash Charlie Austin who bags a hat trick Alison we've talked about him before but you can't help but absolutely adore this man right
1: <laughs> Right um, yeah I mean agree with me I do agree with you if you're saying you love him too I adore uh, we, him we, we, we have a soft spot in this country for players who've come from non-league football or who were rejected when young He was rejected for being too short he's over six foot <laughs> What do uh, academy managers know? Can we
2: find this guy? Just name him and shame him. I know it's
1: bad, isn't it? But like, um, excuse
2: me, because if, if, if I'm sorry, if, if I digress here, but if you're going to say, well, Char- Charlie, we don't want you because you're not good enough and you're clumsy and you'll never be, you know, that's one thing. I mean, he's not, he's not Eric Lamella. but to look at him and say like, oh, you're too small. and you look at the size of him now; it's fantastic. Yeah. Well
1: that's but that's what hap- that's what often what happens, you know, you, you they cull all the time, you know. Some uh, some academies they're culling once once a week, you know, uh,
2: uh, every week. Well James was telling us at his academy that any 11-year-old who's not as tall as he is
0: uh, isn't admitted. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's not right, can. You put them on a growth chart. <laughs> <laughs> they're not cold every week now. They're signed on a two-year um, deal, so you have to have them for two years. Um, so it'd be 12 to 14, 14 joking, to 16. I'm when explaining they're younger the rule. No, 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 though. it's all changed now. I'm Not allowed to do this. What used to happen is players like Charlie Austin, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, would get at 16. No, we don't think you're physically going to develop this, that, and the other, and still got years to go. So that's why they brought in the under-21s. Now they've even got up to 22 to allow players to fully develop. Um, and give them as much time as possible.
2: I'm curious. Were you little as a as a kid? No. So you were al- you were always like the big kid who could play. Yeah.
1: I've got a question for you, Gab. Um, James has just told me that you've written about Leon in the game this week. I haven't read it yet, so please summarise for those who haven't as well.
2: Leon are now second in the table in France. Um, it's a it's a team that you might remember, uh, sort of when they won their seven titles in a row and they were spending and so on. And then they decided to just cut back. Uh, stick with kids, focus instead of building a stadium which will be open for 2016 and the upshot now is they have no fewer than eight academy products starting for them. The most famous perhaps uh, Alexandra Lacazette who's, uh, I think he's got 17 goals and 19 league appearances right now. They, they have Maxime Gonalons, who's their big captain in midfield. It shows that if you go with youth and you have a plan then it can work and it can work if you are sort of that Second tier team trying to knock on the door and that maybe that's a better approach than going and trying to spend your way to success. Any other business?
1: Yeah, why didn't we have Christmas jingles as the noise to chivvy us along on the quick hits? That's why? an oversight, I would say.
2: No, because not everybody celebrates Christmas. This is a diverse multi ethnic country, and that's why we don't say Christmas Merry Christmas, we say happy holidays. At least I do.
0: Merry Christmas, Alison. Merry Christmas,
2: James. All right. That's all we've got time for this week. If you haven't subscribed on iTunes or Player FM for Android, please do so. Many, many thanks to my guests today, Alison Rudd and James Skokoff. You can check out thetimes.co.uk on your digital device. Uh, members get exclusive football, rugby, and cricket highlights free as part of your subscription. And if you're not a member yet, don't despair. You can take our one-pound digital trial today. All you need to do is search Timesport online. I won't be here next week, much to the delight of everybody. You'll be uh, in the company of the delightful Mr. Max Rushton, who's actually extremely talented. But I'll see you the week after that in 2015. Bye-bye.
1: Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away.
0: Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk.